Chapter Seven of Prodigal Daughters by Joseph Hawking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kate Follis. Chapter Seven Roderick Ravenscroft. About seven o'clock that evening, the doorbell rang, and Mrs. Trelawney sprang to her feet as if to leave the room. Where are you going, Alice? asked the colonel to open the door she replied but why because the servants have gone out at least the housemaid and parlourmaid have as for the cook she refuses to answer the doorbell but should you have allowed your help to go out when you expect people in to supper my dear i'm afraid you don't understand if i tried to keep them in they'd give notice immediately and if they left me i don't know where i should get others you see all right alice stay here i'll answer the door i expect it's only john and young davenport when the colonel opened the door however he found a stranger colonel trelawney queried the visitor that is my name excuse me for calling colonel but i took the liberty of paying a chance visit my name is ravenscroft roderick ravenscroft what not the son of my old friend dick ravenscroft yes sir i believe you and he were at school together come in my boy i'm awfully glad to see you this is splendid. I was thinking about your father only yesterday, and wondering where he was. He settled in London just before the war, sir. As you may remember, he practised law on the Northern Circuit, and when he became a king's counsel, he came to town. We live in Hampstead. Splendid! Then I shall soon be seeing him. He'll be mighty glad to see you, sir. You are sure I shall not be in the way? In the way? Certainly not. Of course you'll stay to supper. My wife has just told me that the servants are out, so you'll quite understand that things will have to be of a go-as-you-please order. Alice, here's Roderick Ravenscroft, son of my old friend Dick Ravenscroft, who was at rugby with me the newcomer was a fine-looking young fellow tall well built and with clean-cut features he was good to look at a splendid specimen of a well-bred well-groomed young man good evening roderick said mrs trelawney greeting him as an old friend i'm so glad you've dropped in the children are out at present but i'm expecting them every minute you'll excuse me won't you but the servants are out and i want to look after supper let me help you mrs trelawney oh no there's not the slightest need i got nearly everything ready this afternoon but i may have forgotten something i dare say you understand all about it how does your mother get on with her servants for heaven's sake don't mention them laughed ravenscroft father and i have more than once had to get up and light the fires of a morning 
I believe mother's fairly fixed up now, but there's no knowing how long it may last. One left last month because she was asked to fetch coals from the cellar. The gardener was ill, so mother had to fetch them herself. Then, of course, you understand. My housemaid and parlourmaid both threatened to leave if I wouldn't let them have all Sunday afternoon and evening in which to visit their friends. I told them how awkward it would be if any visitors came, and they suggested that the visitors should prepare supper and wash up the dishes themselves. Good, laughed Ravenscroft. I suppose that's what Bernard Shaw means by the dictatorship of the proletariat. Mrs. Trelawney left the room and left the two men together. Well, what is your line of life? asked the colonel. Excuse my asking, but I take the liberty as an old friend of your father's. I'm glad you asked, sir. I'm trying to follow my father. I left Oxford when I was twenty-two, and soon after passed my exam for the bar. Then the war broke out, and of course I joined up. Up to a few months ago I was in khaki, when I got demobilized. Then I tried to settle down where I left off. A sensible thing, too, but those five years must have been bad preparation for the law. In a way, I suppose they were. On the other hand, I think they have done me quite a lot of good. They've helped me to understand men. Yes, I suppose they have. And you are doing well, I hope. I think I've made a good start, sir, and on the whole things are shaping all right. It'll be pretty tough work, but I fancy I'll pull through. Good. I haven't had a chance of seeing my boy Trev yet. I've been so full up at the war office. I've written, telling him to try to get leave to come home. But he writes saying he's afraid he'll have to go to Ireland. If he can't come home, I must try and run down to Plymouth this week, as naturally I want to see him badly but John seems to be doing well. John's a fine fellow, said Ravenscroft heartily. I'm glad to hear you say that, was the colonel's reply. I've been greatly pleased with what I've seen of him, and his mother tells me that he's been a great help to her. A thoroughly straight, dependable chap is John. You'll find him very thoughtful and intelligent, too. Have you made a friend of him? Yes, in a way. Of course, he's several years my junior, but we've hit it very well. I don't know whether Mrs. Trelawney has told you, sir, but I've taken the liberty of calling here several times these last few months. And Ravenscroft flushed as he spoke. That's right, replied the colonel heartily. I'm glad you have. I have only just begun to realize what a hard, lonely time my wife has had while I've been away. I am sure she will have appreciated your visits. The truth is, stammered Ravenscroft, I, I've been very much interested in coming. I've been in rather a dilemma, too. You see... Your being away from home made everything very difficult. 
i thought i ought to tell mrs trelawney and yet i was not sure then i heard you were coming home and i thought i'd wait the colonel looked at him intently i'm not sure i understand he said no i'm afraid i've put it badly to tell you the truth sir i'm in love with eleanor the colonel opened his eyes very wide i had no suspicion of such a thing he said my wife has not said a word about it no i've never told her sir i didn't feel as though i ought especially when i heard you were coming home but i felt that that you should know i did not want to come here under false pretenses but until i felt sure you'd approve of me i thought i'd no right to speak and yet i couldn't keep away from the house have you spoken to eleanor no sir not yet but i'm sure she knows my feelings and from the fact that she's always seemed glad to see me when i came i i kept on coming i hope you understand sir i wanted to do the straight thing i told my father about it and he seemed to think that as you were away from home and therefore could know nothing about me that i was in a difficulty but i thought i would come to-night in the hope of a few minutes chat alone i hope it's all right sir and the young fellow looked anxiously into the colonel's face let me understand replied the colonel from what i gather you have come to the house several times lately and that you've fallen in love with eleanor that's it sir this in eager tones but as i was away from home you didn't think it right to speak to her well sir i heard you'd be coming home shortly and my father thought i'd better wait till you came he made me feel that it would scarcely be the straight thing to become engaged to her that is assuming she liked me enough until you knew what kind of a fellow i was of course I could have asked Mrs. Trelawney, but that would have been different. I didn't want to take advantage of your absence, sir. Roderick Ravenscroft appealed to the colonel strongly. He reminded him of the old-fashioned courtesies, which were dear to him, and the honest, outspoken frankness aroused his admiration. Of course I can quite understand that you'd like to know more about me before you said anything definite, went on Ravenscroft eagerly. But I'm dead in earnest, sir. You know my people, and I did fairly well during the war. There are lots of people in Hampstead who know me and can tell you what kind of fellow I am. Of course, I shan't be in a position to marry for a year or so, but, but things are coming my way. In fact, I've a fairly big thing on hand now, and and it's difficult to say, sir, but but I've kept straight and and I've never had any entanglements with girls or anything of that sort. The colonel hesitated before speaking again. As far as he could see, Ravenscroft was a fine young fellow. He admired his manliness, his simplicity, and his old fashioned courtesy but he was not quite sure of his ground. 
he called to mind the scene in the treadmill a few hours before and he wondered whether ravenscroft had any inkling of eleanor's state of mind he wondered too whether he was fully aware of the kind of girl she was you say you have not spoken to eleanor that is so sir as i told you i did not think it right to speak in your absence especially as you were shortly coming home but i'm sure she knows and do you know much of her have you seen a great deal of her not as much as i should have liked as luck would have it my father has been able to put a good deal of work in my way and i've been very busy but i've come here whenever i could and i've taken her to amusements two or three times but you've never said anything definite you've never asked her to become engaged to you no sir i've told you why and have you reason to think she would say yes i hope so sir of course i'm not sure and and sometimes i've not quite been able to understand her but i'm in dead earnest and i thought i ought to tell you i wanted to come here very much but i thought it was your right to know why i came i appreciate your candor and your sincerity replied the colonel and i am sure you are a worthy son of my old friend but as you may imagine this is all very strange to me when i left home eleanor was only a child and i cannot accustom myself to the idea that she is now twenty-one besides i've hardly had time to look around and understand my bearings i came home only last monday and i've been from early to late at the war office and the foreign office ever since that means that i've hardly had time to make the acquaintance of my own children but let me say this at once i shall be glad to see you here whenever you care to come as for speaking to eleanor i think you'd better let it stand over for a time i'm saying that because well for one thing although you are the son of my old friend i don't know you mind i like what i've seen of you and if eleanor reciprocates your feelings i feel sure anyhow let matters take their own course for a bit and and i shall be delighted to welcome you whenever you care to pay a visit to the house ah surely that's john's voice hello a rod old man cried john who entered the room just then i'm glad to see you you know davenport don't you rather replied ravenscroft we were together in the montidier show and he shook hands with the man john had brought with him oh don't rub in that laughed john rub in what the fact that davenport was in at the finish he's always crowing over me about it he seems to think because i fagged for him at rugby that he has the right to assume superior airs but i can't help not being born two or three years before i tried hard enough to get out the army is no place for children john my boy said davenport very solemnly i say dad cried john please forgive me 
this is davenport whom i told you about i hope you'll take him in hand he's not quite so bad as he looks and if you treat him kindly he may in time turn out quite all right his people are quite intelligent too the colonel liked davenport and he saw at a glance that he was one of his own sort he had a sense of humour, too, and the colonel soon found himself hugely enjoying a wordy combat that went on between the three young men. This was something like what he hoped his home would be. He was far from being an old man, and the sound of young voices was pleasant to his ears. He began to hope that, after all, things with Eleanor and Peggy were not so bad as he feared. He reflected that they were only children, and in spite of the fact that they had become infected with thoughts that were repugnant to him, he would be able, by wise management, to lead them into better ways. Of course, Ravencroft's confession came to him rather as a shock, but as he watched the young man's face, he almost hoped that Eleanor would fall in love with him, if she had not already done so. To say the least of it, he was a fine fellow, and would be a husband of whom any girl might be proud. But did Ravenscroft really know the kind of girl Eleanor was, and was he aware of Peggy's infatuation with the fellow Barnes? The thing was not pleasant to think about, and he looked forward with anything but pleasant anticipation to his coming. From what his wife had told him, he was a flashy, underbred sort of chap, who had taken advantage of Peggy's foolishness, and established himself as a kind of fiancé of his daughter. If this were so, and assuming that Eleanor was fond of Ravenscroft, there might be unpleasant complications. He could see at a glance that Ravenscroft was a gentleman, and if Barnes were what he suspected, he would naturally resent any association with him. The colonel almost wished he had not consented to Peggy bringing him that night. In a way, it might be taken as a kind of consent on his part, to Barnes being received as a probable son-in-law. At any rate, he must make the best of it, and be guided by developments. The part he had to play was anything but pleasant, and one which he had never dreamt of. For, upon one thing, he had fully determined. If Barnes proved to be the kind of fellow he feared he was, he would certainly put an end to his friendship with Peggy, and forbid his having any further connection with the family. A little later, voices were heard in the hall, and the colonel judged, by the flush on Ravenscroft's face, that he had heard Eleanor speaking. In this he proved to be right, for at that moment Eleanor entered, accompanied by a woman of from twenty-eight to thirty years of age. "'I hope I'm not intruding, colonel,' this lady said, after Eleanor had presented her as Miss Tamson Corey." "'On the other hand,' replied the colonel, "'I hope I shall always have pleasure in welcoming my children's friends.' 
miss corey was not slow to recognize the non-committal nature of this remark but not being a lady of a very sensitive nature and also being deceived by the colonel's courteous tones had no suspicion of his real thoughts concerning her i hear you've been away a number of years she ventured yes six and kind of out of the world too i suppose yes if you can call india and mesopotamia out of the world well i do in a way although i hear the people of india are waking up from what i can gather the old order of things has passed away even there i shouldn't be surprised if we lose our indian empire and a good thing too and why asked the colonel it shows the movements of the age it shows that the old bad past has come to an end why should a little island like england govern a huge peninsula like india i believe in self-determination for all peoples and races in relation to government indeed yes all the thought of the age is in that direction individually and nationally the world has been in swaddling clothes too long no real progress is possible without absolute freedom to live our own lives both nationally and individually don't you think so i'm not sure i quite understand you replied the colonel i dare say not you see you've been out of it for several years yes i've been doing my best to help in the government of races who don't know how to govern themselves but i say eleanor i haven't seen your mother yet i hope she's well i'm sorry said eleanor but i think mother will be waiting for peggy i can't think where she is she promised to be here by half-past seven ah here she is the colonel glanced towards the door as his daughter spoke as she had said peggy entered at that moment accompanied by a young man End of chapter seven